0: Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. We know your life will be changed for the better by listening to God's Word. If you'd like to know more about Trinity Beaumont or contribute to our ministry, please visit www.trinitybeaumont.com.
1: Praise God. Christmas season, things get in a whirl, in a hurry, but we need to stop and look again. We know what the Christmas season's about, but we're going to take some time today and go back and see, what is all this about? Because we need to focus on Jesus. Truly, Lord, give us Jesus. Help us to be single-focused. That's what we want is to be single focused because, you know, James says, if we're double minded, we're not going to receive anything from God. When we understand what his promises are, when we understand what he's provided for us through Jesus, we can come to him boldly and with confidence. And so over the next two weeks, I am privileged to talk to you about blood covenant, Because everything that we have available to us through the Lord Jesus Christ is because of his blood. And our politically correct world does not talk much about the blood of Jesus anymore. You know, you turn on TV, you, turn, you watch movies, and there's blood and gore all over the place. But heaven forbid that we talk about the blood of Jesus and what it's accomplished for us. So I want, since this is the Christmas season, I want to start with Isaiah 7:14 in the New Living. This was God's promise. He told the king, ask me what you want, and I'll do it to prove to you whatever the promise was at the time. And the king said, I'm not going to ask you for a promise. And God said, okay, well, I'll give you one anyway. He said, look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. God is with us now. We don't have to search for him. He is with us now. And, you know, there are a lot of theologians today that don't even believe in the virgin birth. And when this was written in Isaiah, they had no idea that the blood came through the Father. God designed it all. He knew that the blood has to come through the Father. And because of fallen mankind, blood was contaminated. So, Jesus had to be born of a virgin. He had to have pure blood. He is the spotless lamb that every sacrifice pointed toward, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. We want to talk about the significance of the blood covenant. Today, people don't think much at all about breaking a contract or breaking a covenant, There's not not much honor and integrity in the world, and unfortunately, often not in this church, but often in the church, there's not much honor and integrity, and we want to be people of covenant, covenant covenant-honoring people, so we're going to talk about that, because everything that's made available to us today through Jesus is because of the blood covenant that Jesus made with the Father. Now, we use terms like Old Testament and New Testament, but if we wanted to be more accurate, a better translation would be the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Everything changed with the New Covenant. And technically, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are Old Covenant. The New Covenant doesn't start until the death and resurrection of Jesus. So for us as New Testament believers, New Covenant believers... Some of the things that Jesus did seem a little uh, they're confusing to us when we're thinking about terms of grace and some of the things that Jesus said, but he was fulfilling the law in those first four books of the New Testament. It's the epistles that refer to us as Christians. It's the epistles that we find out what's been made available to us and how we can live. So, just want you to keep that in mind. But a covenant, if we talk about what a covenant is, it's a binding agreement between two parties. Just a basic covenant would be a binding agreement between two parties. In the days of the Bible, you didn't have lawyers that could come get you out of a covenant like you can now. You know, there's always loopholes. It was a binding agreement between two parties. And in what we're going to talk about today, it's even deeper because a blood covenant is even more binding. And the first time that we see an example of blood covenant or blood being shed is in the Garden of Eden. Sometimes you may not think about this as being blood covenant, but the first time that blood was shed was in the Garden of Eden. Um, In Genesis 3.21, it says, "'For Adam also and for his wife,' The Lord God made long coats, tunics of skins, and clothed them. This was after they sinned. Remember, God told them, If you eat of the fruit, in dying you shall surely die. I believe that's the way that the uh, Amplified Bible states it. They didn't die immediately physically, but immediately they died spiritually. And the price for that sin was the shedding of blood. And so God killed an animal. Can you imagine the horror that it must have been to Adam and Eve to see that blood? They had probably never seen blood. They certainly had never seen anything killed. And when they realized that that animal died because of what they just did, it had to be heartbreaking. Because they named the Adam named the animals. I mean, I'm I'm an animal lover. You know, anybody that knows me knows I love my dogs. And, um, yeah, they're my babies. Pastor doesn't agree, but they're my babies. And so um, can, can you imagine how Adam and Eve must have felt knowing that what they had just done caused that death, caused that blood to be shed, because they had to be clothed in something so that God could still look on them. Leviticus tells us that the life is in the blood, and so to cover the sin so that God could still have fellowship, there had to be a covering, and so that, that's what those coats, those tunics represented, and we don't always stop and think about that. We know that God made them close. Their own works wouldn't do it, so God made them close, but it was because blood had to be shed to take care of the sin that had just been committed. Adam and Eve died immediately spiritually, but an innocent animal had to die physically to pay the price. And it was the first time that there's any record of death on the planet Earth. Now, the next instance where we see in the Bible the shedding of blood was with Cain and Abel. And this is in Genesis 4, starting in verse 3. It says, And in the course of time... Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had respect and regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no respect or no regard. So Cain was exceedingly angry and indignant, and he looked sad and depressed. In other words, he was going around pouting because God wouldn't accept his work. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why do you look sad and depressed and dejected? If you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you do what you're supposed to do, it'll be okay. And if you do not do well, sin crouches at your door and its desires for you, but you must master it. We have a choice every day. Are we going to let sin overtake us or are we going to master sin? We have something that Cain didn't have If we're born again, we have the resurrection power on the inside of us that helps us to master that temptation to sin. But Cain just got mad, and he went off pouting. And he said to his brother, well, let's just go out into the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. You see, blood has a voice. And God hears the voice of the blood that was shed, that innocent blood that was shed. Abel's blood was innocent blood that was shed. All the voices of the martyrs are crying out. The blood of the martyrs is crying out to God still. The blood still cries out. Best of all, the blood of Jesus is crying out. The blood of Jesus cries out, mercy, 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 mercy. And we have access to that mercy. Glory to God. But the voice of the blood still cries out today. And, you know, surely God had explained to Adam, I'm sure, as he was taking the life of that first animal and making the covering for Adam and Eve, he explained to them, this is the price of your sin. Death has to occur. The death of an innocent has to occur so that we can have access to each other. And Adam and Eve, I'm sure, explained it to Cain and Abel. And Abel accepted God's provision to come to him. He understood that the offering had to be a blood offering. But Cain brought an offering that represented his own work. God does not want our work. When we're bringing him works of the flesh, it does not honor him. What Cain brought to God at that point in time came from the ground, which was cursed. So he was really bringing a cursed offering to God. When we try to do things for God to get him to do things for us, that's our own self-righteousness, which God said is as filthy rags. It means nothing to him. He wants our free will from the heart offering that's been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. The works that we do are not to gain his approval. The works that we do are because we have his approval. And there's a vast difference between working to please God and working because God is pleased with you. It's because of the blood covenant that we can work because God is pleased with us. We looked at our, I mentioned Leviticus 17, 11. It says, for the life is in the blood, and I've given it for you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. Blood had to be placed on the altar. For it's the blood that makes atonement by reason of the life which it represents. Every time that the blood of an innocent lamb was shed, it represented a life. See, sin requires a blood offering. And every lamb that was slain from the time of Abel to the time of Jesus was pointing towards Jesus the whole time it was pointing towards Jesus. So we don't think in terms of blood covenant in our Western world, but the Hebrews do. And there are examples of blood covenant ceremonies throughout every society on the face of the earth. You know, even people who worship demonic entities offer blood sacrifices. What do you think abortion is? What is more innocent than the blood of a baby? it's offering a sacrifice really to moloch and we see throughout the bible that there were blood sacrifices virgin sacrifice you know you see in all the movies but but the worst thing was the babies that were sacrificed and it was horrible it's an abomination to god it still is an abomination to god But every society has had blood covenants or blood sacrifices. But I want to look today at what happens with the Hebrew rituals. Um, A blood covenant, just in general, we could say that a blood covenant was used oftentimes in different societies even in Africa, I've heard about Livingston making blood covenants with several different tribes, and there were reasons to do that. It's a means of uniting families. It could be uh, unite different tribes, maybe tribes that had been warring with each other all of a sudden decided to make a blood covenant, and now they're, they're kinfolk. They're not, no longer at war with each other. They might have blood covenants to unite villages. And often what would happen was a group, say, there was a group of warriors and a group of farmers. Well, the warriors were real good at protecting themselves, but not so good at raising food and sustaining themselves. Now, the farmers that are over here are real good at raising food, raising cattle, raising whatever they need to eat. But they weren't real good at protecting themselves. So what would happen was those two different tribes would say, well, you've got strengths where I have weaknesses and vice versa. So they would make a blood covenant with each other. And that blood covenant was unending and unbreakable. It was not just a real spur-of-the-moment thing. Something that was very well thought out, the terms of the the covenant were discussed at great length before the covenant was actually made. So the, one of the reasons for a covenant in society was to accommodate for each other's strengths and weaknesses. If the covenant was broken by one party or a member of one of the tribes, immediate death occurred to the offender. And many times their own family members would turn them in because covenant was such an important thing. In the early days of our nation, covenants were very, very important. And they still, in God's eyes, are important. It really doesn't matter what man has to say. In God's eyes, covenant is unbreakable and unending. So, when a, if a covenant was made between two different groups, great enemies could suddenly become the best of friends because they were in covenant with each other. When two different groups came together in covenant, each side loses their individualism. And as far as anybody else is concerned, they are one in identity, one in name, one in purpose, and one in goals. See, they present a united front. And if we think about it, marriage is a blood covenant, it's very important, it's sacred to God. When we enter into the covenant of marriage, it should never be entered into lightly. All right. All right. It is an unending, it's designed to be an unending and unbreakable bond, breakable only at the death of one of the members of the covenant. That's why God said He hates divorce, because He's a covenant keeping God. And he wants his people to be a covenant-keeping people. Now, if you've gone through divorce, there is no condemnation. I was divorced years and years ago. God forgives you for that today. That is not the unpardonable sin. There is no condemnation. But you don't want to repeat the cycle. And if you're in a marriage and you're having difficulties, there's a way to get through it. When you bring God into your situation, He does not want you to break your marriage vows because they are, He was included in those vows that you made. Hopefully, you included Him. But if you said, I do, He said, I do. And He will be there to help you, even if it started out in not so good situations. He can turn it around. He is an expert at turning bad situations around. So never give up hope. Because you are in covenant with a God who is a covenant-keeping God. Okay, so we want to look at the Hebrew blood covenant ceremonies. There were several different steps. And I think you can see that in each of these steps, we're pointing to Jesus. We're pointing to what God wanted to do to restore relationships and to restore his ability to have a family again. He already had a plan. He knew Adam and what Adam and Eve were going to do, but before the foundation of the world, he had a plan and he was willing to allow people to make their own choice, to have those who would willingly come to him and say, "I want to serve you. I want to be in covenant relationship with you." Nothing thrills the Father's heart more than when we bow our knee and say yes to him. So the first thing in the covenant in the Hebrew ceremony was to exchange the coats or the robes. Now, to Hebrews, the robe represents the person. So, when they give the robe to each other, they're saying, in effect, I'm giving you all that I am. I'm giving you all of myself. When we are in covenant with God, and this is a covenant that Jesus made with the Father, we get in on it by faith. I know I'm kind of skipping around a little bit, but... You know, we get in on it by faith, and God is saying to us, I'm giving you all that I am. Glory to God. So what is our response to be? We give you all that we are. Glory to God. We can do it because he moved first. And then the second thing they did was exchange their belts. In Ephesians, we talk about the, the belt of truth. Uh, The belt of the word are the truth. Everything that we have available to us is based on the word of God. We've got to have it founded in the word. And so the belt represents livelihood. It held the armor together. The belt was where the warriors had their swords and their daggers, their weapons of defense. The belt was where the farmers would would hang their tools that they needed when they were out working in the field. See, the belt represented their livelihood. So they would exchange their belts. It was a pledge of support or a pledge of protection. And basically what they were saying is, here's my strength and my ability to fight. If anybody attacks you, they're attacking me and I'll come to your aid. Your battles are my battles, and my battles are yours. In Genesis 15, God told Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. In essence, he was offering Abraham his robe and his belt. He was saying, you have all that I am. I am your protector I am your righteousness. I give you all that I have. In the New Testament, we're told Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. See, in that we see a picture of our covenant with Jesus. Because we believe Jesus, it's not just accounted to us. First or Second Corinthians 5.21 says... He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. It's not just put on your account like it was to Abraham. You are recreated in his image. We were talking about that this morning in prayer. You are recreated righteously in right standing with God. He has given you his robe of righteousness. It's up to us to put on the robe of righteousness. God is our protector. Everything that we have need of, he is because of the blood that Jesus shed. See, it all points to Jesus. All these covenant things, these covenant parts of the ceremony point to Jesus. The third thing they would do was actually cut the covenant. They would take animals and split them in half and lay them out. And then as blood filled the pathway. See, the word covenant in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for covenant is berith. It means to cut where the blood flows. So, they would cut the animals in half and lay them out and then walk through that pathway of blood. They would start out back to back, and then they would walk through the pathway in the shape of a figure eight, which is never-ending. And then they would stop facing each other. I'm a math teacher. If you take that figure eight and lay it on its side, it's a symbol for infinity. No beginning, no ending. It goes on forever in each way. The covenant was never ending. And that was the reason for the figure eight. They were saying, in essence, I'm dying to myself. I'm giving up my rights to my own life and beginning a new walk with my covenant partner. And this new walk is unto death. And then when they got through, they would point at the animals and say, God, do so to me and more if I fail to keep the terms of this covenant. See, it wasn't something that you just lightly enter into. Jesus did not lightly enter into the covenant that he made with the Father when he offered himself on the cross. He is our blood sacrifice. Praise God. The next thing that the members of the covenant, uh, the two sides of the covenant would do is raise their right arms and and cut either their palms or their wrists. You know, you see this in the old Indian movies where they're going to become blood brothers. They would let their blood mingle together to show that they are now, their lives are becoming one. They're sharing each other's blood. They're putting off the old nature and putting on the new nature. Ephesians 4 says, put on the new nature that's created in God's image. See, on the inside, if you've received Jesus as your Lord, on the inside, you have that new nature. But it's up to us to take care of this stuff out here. We have to take off the old and make the decision to put on the new. So they would let their blood flow together, symbolizing that they now had become One, they were joined together by blood. Then they would exchange names. Abram became Abraham, the father of nations, the father of many. And Sarai, which was contentious, meant contentious, became Sarah, which meant princess. Because of the covenant, their names were changed. Revelations 2.17 says that to the overcomer, God will grant a white stone with a new name. We'll have a new name. That's part of our covenant rites based on the sacrifice of Jesus. And cutting to let the blood flow, a scar was formed. And this is to make a permanent testimony of the covenant. It's a scar or a seal so that anybody that sees it can, say, can realize that you're in covenant with someone else. For Abraham... It was circumcision. That was the sign of the covenant. That was the seal of the covenant. We're, we're blessed. For us, it's the Holy Ghost. Hello. Glory Hello. to God. Hallelujah. I think we got a more better deal. Um, it, for us, it's the Holy Ghost. And that, that seal is to remind us of our responsibilities, but it serves as a warning who any, to anyone who would try to attack. You know, I mentioned... Uh, Livingston, who was a missionary to the Indian tribes in Africa, or the African tribes, they weren't Indian, I guess we would say they were, but they were African tribes. And so he had covenant, he made covenant with several different tribes so that he could peacefully go from one tribe to the other uh, because he was in covenant with them. And, and he'd go to a new tribe and he, they'd see the seal, they'd realize he was in covenant with this other one that they didn't want to tangle with, so he was protected because he entered into covenant with some of those tribes. For us, we said that the Holy Spirit is our seal. We don't see it because we see through natural eyes, but I can guarantee you that in the spirit realm, your enemy sees your seal. He knows who you belong to. He's hoping you don't. He's hoping you don't realize what's been made available to you. That's why he keeps attacking. You know, any time that persecution comes, it's to try to steal the word away from you. And the word of God says that you are sealed. You belong to God. He is your covenant partner. And he has covenanted with you to protect you, to provide for you everything that you may have need of. But you've got to be convinced that that's truth. Because if you're not convinced, the enemy can steal it from you. So anytime you get a revelation in church, count on it. The enemy's going to come to try to take it it away from you. He's going to try to distract you. Purpose in your heart that you will not be distracted and you will not let the seed of the word be stolen from you. It's up to us to nurture that seed. It's up to us to prepare soil that's conducive for that seed to grow. Jesus bears the scars, but we have the seal. For all eternity, we're told that he will have those scars that remind him of the covenant. And we have the seal of the Holy Spirit. I think we got the best end of the deal. He took everything that we are, all the ugliness, all the hideousness, all the sin, all the sickness, all the disease. And he gave us everything that he is. You can see that exchange in the ceremony that took place. They talked about the covenant terms after the scar was made. They'd already discussed all this. You know, before the foundation of the world, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit laid out the plan. They already had it figured out. They discussed the terms. When Jesus said, I'll go and I'll be the sacrifice, the terms had already been laid out. And we have access to those terms through the written Word of God. We know what's available to us. But in the covenant ceremony, even though the terms had been worked out, they were stated once again, like a marriage ceremony. Hopefully, you work the terms out. You decide how many kids you want to have. You decide who's going to handle the finances, how you're going to make decisions. You do that before you get to the marriage ceremony. Then you may talk about it in the ceremony, but hopefully you've already discussed it and come to an agreement before you ever stand before the preacher. It will save you a lot of trouble in the long run for any of you that are not married. Get it worked out beforehand because you don't want to have to fight it out after you've made the commitment. Then came the memorial meal. They shared bread and wine, which represented the animal and its blood. And they fed each other the bread and the wine, and this pointed to the Lord's Supper. You know, when Jesus said, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, I believe he was thinking of this covenant ceremony. And the disciples didn't get it. The people that were around him didn't get it, but he was talking in covenant terms. I am the Passover lamb. I am the sacrifice. You're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. My flesh becomes your flesh and, your flesh and your, my blood becomes your blood. We share those things. He was thinking in much broader terms than the people were. He was thinking covenant. He was pointing to that covenant meal. And the final thing that they would do is plant a memorial tree and sprinkle it with the blood of the animal. And for us, we know that that is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the memorial tree, and the blood wasn't just sprinkled; the blood poured down the cross. And the covenant partners were then became known as friends. See, they weren't just pals; they didn't just hang out. They were united. And when we come into covenant with God, he's not just our pal, although there are times when you roll around on the floor and you play with him because he is your father. Sometimes your daddy likes to get in the floor and play with you. But he is your father, and you're in covenant with him. He considers you a friend, but that's not just somebody to hang with even though that's part of it, but, but it's, it's much deeper than that. There's responsibility involved. He has taken responsibility for you, but we also have responsibility to him. If he's our covenant partner, then we, we have the right to go to him, and this sounds irreverent, but when we do it, he's, we're honoring him. We're honoring his word. We have the right to go to him and demand anything he's promised we can have. But he has the right to come to us to ask us for anything that we have. Now, the good news, he has that right. Hopefully, we will agree with him and give him whatever it is that he's asked for. But you know, in this covenant that we're in, Jesus made the covenant with the Father, and it's not up to us to keep it. We should. But you can mess up, and you're still in covenant, and it doesn't mean you're going to be killed because Jesus made the covenant with the Father. You know, we saw that even with with Abraham. If you remember the story in Genesis when God wanted to prove to Abraham that he was going to have a son, and that he was going to inherit all this land, Abraham said, well, it was Abram still. He said, well, how am I going to know this? And and God said, go get me some animals. Ooh, Abram, I'm sure he got excited. We're entering in the covenant. And so he split the animals, and, and he's waiting for God to show up, and he's scaring all the birds off, and all of a sudden he gets so sleepy he can't keep his eyes open. God puts him to sleep. Because God didn't want to make this covenant with Abraham. He made it with himself. Abram just had to believe it because we're told that it was, what, a flaming oven and a smoking torch or a smoking oven and a flaming torch that passed between the pieces. All Abraham could do was just sit and watch. He got in on it the same way we do. But his was a type and a shadow of what we enter into because he wasn't born again. When we enter into that covenant, we're born again because of the blood of Jesus. See, the covenant, Abram's covenant, or Abraham's covenant, was really God was making the covenant with himself there, just like Jesus made the covenant with the Father. Abram, Abraham got in on the covenant, and it wasn't because he was a good guy. We know some of the stuff Abraham did. Eileen and I were talking about that this morning. He gave his wife away two times and then lied about it, lied about who she was. I mean, it was sort of a half lie. He said, well, she's my sister. And technically, she was his half-sister or something. So, I mean, you know, if you're trying to justify yourself, it still was a lie. It was a little white lie. A white lie is a lie. But you know what? God defended Abraham. He shut up the, womb, the wombs of the Abimelech's wives. They couldn't have kids until he gave Sarah back to Abraham. You know, he could do some kind of scoundrelly things. But the covenant, honoring the covenant was not based on what Abraham did. It was based on the promise of God. Same for you. When we mess up, we don't wallow in it. God's intention is that we run to him and recognize the blood so that we can come boldly into his presence. He doesn't want us cowering in fear. I think we've got time today. I mean, I I thank you, Pastor Andrew and Pastor Caitlin, for giving me two weeks because there's so much on covenant to talk about And I appreciate it greatly. And I think it helps us refocus. What is this season all about? How does it refer to the blood? Because we had to have spotless blood, and it could only come through a virgin. So I want to look in Genesis. um, Oh, not Genesis. Joshua chapter 9. This was a covenant that after Joshua and Caleb entered into the promised land, Uh, There was a covenant made with the Gibeonite tribe. Remember, God told them to go in and wipe out everybody because they were demonized. We don't, you know, it's not spelled out that way, but that's why God said wipe them all out. Women, children, dogs, cats, animals, wipe them all out because they were demonized. And so the gibeonites heard about what was happening how god was helping the israelites kill all these people off and so they decided um i think we need to be proactive so what they did they didn't they lived about 3 days of journey away from where joshua was but they they sent a delegation to israel and they they, had, they dressed them in old ragged clothes, ragged sandals, gave them moldy bread to make it look like they had traveled for days and days and days and days. And they uh, wanted to come and make a covenant with Israel. So in Joshua 9, it says, so the Israelite men partook of their food and did not consult the Lord. That's where they messed up. Joshua made peace with them, covenanting with them to let them live, and the assembly's leaders swore to them. And then three days after they'd made a covenant with the strangers, the Israelites heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. And the Israelites set out and came to their cities on the third day. They were only three days away, but they made it look like they had been traveling for weeks, But the Israelites did not slay them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, to spare them. And even though all the assemblies murmured against the leaders, but all the leaders said to the assembly, we've sworn to them by the Lord our God, the God of Israel, so now we may not touch them. We're in covenant with them. Remember the covenant ceremony said, if somebody attacks you, they're attacking me. And if if you need help, I'm there. So some of the other kings in the area that had not yet been uh, destroyed by Israel heard about it, and they got mad. And I think they did it probably to draw Israel out, but they went to attack the Gibeonites. And so I'm just going to read this. I don't think I have them put it up there. It says, The five kings of the Amorites... Gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped before Gibeon to fight against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. In other words, we're being attacked. We need you. We need you now. And so Joshua had no choice, he made a covenant. Even though he didn't consult God, he made a covenant, and he still had to keep the covenant. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the warriors with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hand. And there shall not a man of them stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having gone up from Gilgal all night. And the Lord caused the enemy to panic before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way and smote them. And as they fled before Israel, while they were descending the pass, the Lord cast great stones from the heavens on them as far as Azekah, killing them. And more died because of the hailstones than the Israelites slew with the sword. Notice Joshua, I mean, God looked at this. He didn't see Gibeon and Israel. He saw Israel because they were united with Gibeon. They were in covenant, so he saw them united as one. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord on the day when the Lord gave the Amorites to the Israelites. And he said in the sight of Israel... Sun, be silent, and the and. Sun, be silent and stand still, and you, moon, in the valley of Ajalon. and the sun stood still and the moon stayed until the nation took vengeance upon their enemies. It is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of the heavens and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day, and there was no day like it before or since when the lord heeded the voice of a man for the lord fought for israel didn't say he fought for gibeon he fought for israel is this not amazing i mean we all heard the story about the sun standing still joshua speaking to the sun and commanded it to stand still but but it, it wasn't it was just a few years ago that i realized It was because of a covenant that was entered into in dubious circumstances, but God still honored it. And he expected the people of Israel to honor it. If he would do that in the old covenant, how much more will he honor the covenant that he made with his son that you enter into by faith and by grace? How much more will he honor that? There is no way he's breaking covenant with you. Now, you can walk away and not partake of anything, but that's not a very smart decision. He's saying, come to me. I promised you, I've told you what's available. All you have to do is come and get it we we're talking about this in prayer exceedingly abundantly above all we could dare to ask or hope or think or even imagine that's what he's prepared for us because of the covenant that Jesus made because of the blood that Jesus shed it's available to each and every one of us available to each and every one of us now next week i want to talk a little bit more about covenant Some of the things that we see in the Bible, but it's so rich when we realize how things point to things that the father had planned from before the foundation of the earth, that he had planned seeing you sitting right there, Crystal, knowing that you were going to hear the word, you were going to say yes to the word and enter into covenant with him. It thrilled his heart. That's why Jesus could, could stay on the cross for the joy set before him knowing that you would say yes. Millions may say no, but he was happy to those of us that would say yes. And he said, these are my promises. Come and dine. Come take hold of the promises. Take hold together with me so that I can give them to you. So I want to invite you this morning, if you have need of anything, if you need healing, He is Jehovah Rapha. He is your healer. Ask the worship team to come on up. If you have need of finances, he is Jehovah Jireh. He is your provider. If you have need of peace, he is Jehovah Shalom. He is your peace. Jesus said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. Whatever you have need of, he has provided for you today. Don't leave this place in need. We have prayer partners, get you to come on that prayer partners. We have prayer partners that want to pray for you. They've got so much in them that they want to give to you if you have a need. God wants to give you whatever it is that you have need of. Now, he may ask you to do some things. He has that right because you're his covenant partner. He's your covenant partner. But he gives you the grace to do whatever it is that he's asked you to do. He's not going to ask you to do something that he will not grace you to do. All you have to do is make the first move. So I want to invite you this morning, whatever you may need, be be extravagant in your request to God. This is the Christmas season. Ask him for something extravagant that's written in his word. Be sure it's based in the word and watch while he performs it for you. But if you don't ask, you're not going to receive so come and ask in faith, if there's anything that you need today, healing, maybe you've never received Jesus as Lord. Uh, Andrew was talking about that before I came up here. Today's a good day to enter into covenant with the Father. And these wonderful people know how to help you do that. So as worship team sings, going to give you opportunity. If you need anything, they're here to pray with you this morning.
2: You. It covers me with destiny. It's a making all things right. the precious blood of Christ. It's a rewriting my history. Yes. It covers me with destiny. It's a making all things. Arrive.
1: Thank you, Lord. You make us new. You make us new. You heal us. You revive us. You provide for us. Help us to remember this week the strength of the covenant that you've made available to us. Father, I'm determined not to let the enemy steal anything that was provided for me by the blood of Jesus. And I pray over everyone that's in this room that hears, that's heard these words that there will be a new determination to grab hold of and take together hold of with you the promises that you've made and refuse to let it go. We refuse to let it go. We will be good soil, and we will produce fruit. We will produce fruit for your glory. It's not just for us. It's so that your covenant is established in the earth, that your covenant is made known in the earth, that people will see and know how well you take care of your children, of your covenant family, and they'll want to run to be in the covenant. Father, I thank you for that new determination, that new strength. Hallelujah. Pastor Andrew, do you want to close it out or do you want me to? Or Caitlin, would you like to?
0: Will you guys give it up for Pastor Becky? (laughs) If we don't have teachers, teachers and preachers like Pastor Becky, (laughs) we wouldn't be reminded or we wouldn't learn all of these things that are ours, you know, in in his word. Um, It's so good for... some like teachers to connect those dots, right? Connect scriptures and connect those dots. So I'm so thankful for you and for you, Dad, as well. Um, I'm just thankful for this church. (laughs) I'm thankful for the old-er and the -er. (laughs) young-er in the -er. (laughs) middle-er. I'm thankful that we have such an amazing, diverse group of people that can learn from each other with different backgrounds and different strengths and weaknesses, and that we're all in covenant with Him, so that means we're in covenant with each other. We're like the tribe. (laughs) We're in covenant. There's no fighting. We have what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine the tribe of yeah and we're all connected (laughs) so i just want to encourage you guys come back next week you want to hear part two learn more about the covenant okay and then after next week the 26th is going to be sabbath sunday so sabbath sunday everyone's going to rest we're going to hang out with our families going to watch um, church online at some point, (laughs) amen, (laughs) because our worship team and our staff is going to do a great job getting you guys some really important and really awesome um, scriptures, sermons, worship, um, content. I don't want to say content. It sounds really, you know, commercial, but um, (laughs) it'll be good. You'll enjoy it. And it's important. It's part of our family thing. So I want you guys to rest, but make sure you watch that at some point on the 26th. So don't don't come here. Stay in your jammies. Make yourself a cup of coffee. Make some cinnamon rolls. Do it like Pastor Andrew. Make your own icing. It's delicious. Um, and you guys enjoy. So. Um, no. Okay, so you do not have to bring anything to the Christmas party on the 19th. But if you do want to bowl, if well, if you have bowling shoes, but if you do want to bowl, we have an event on Facebook. You can sign up, or if you want me to put your name down in the event and you can't do it, let me know. I'll put your name down. So you, you do not have to pay for bowling or the shoes. You just have to let me know so we can have enough spots for all the people who want to bowl. So I hope that that and this blesses you and your families because um, I want it to be a fun family event. And I kind of like to think out of the box, too. So <laughs> this year we're doing it out of the box. We're going to start bowling. We support local businesses and get to just hang out and uh, have a good time together. So um, excited about that. So that's next week, Blood Covenant Part 2. And then we'll have our awesome family bowling Christmas. But until then, we're going to go home and love God. Love people and lead well. You guys have a great rest of your Sunday. I love you, we love you.